Amen. Why don't you have a seat? <clears throat> Thanks, Dan. Carson, for leading us in that worship, which points us so, so well in the direction that we're going this morning as we begin a, a, a new series, which will lead us up to Easter. Can you believe it? Time change already. We're approaching, we're on the final approach, really, to Easter here. And, uh, and as a result, we're, uh, we're switching gears uh, from the seven letters in Revelation to talking about something that will, uh, uh, that will lead us directly to um, the cross. And so, well, it all does, but you know what I mean. Have any, have any of you ever had to learn a new language? Yeah, there's a few. Maybe some of you, it was, it was forced upon you. You didn't want to learn the language, but you had to. Uh, some of you, you just decided on your own volition that you would uh, take up a challenge and learn a language. Um, some, you know, uh, who came as immigrants had to learn a new language. Uh, kids in school uh, have to learn usually a new language. Are, are you studying a language in school other than English? French. French. See, there you go. When I was uh, growing up, I had, to, I had to study German. Uh, it's something that I hated, but now I wish that I would have engaged more. I wish my parents would have taught me how to speak low German, but they didn't because they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. So they just like, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're not going there, right? Like they could say all kinds of things to the aunties and the uncles and between themselves and we had no clue. But one language that I was uh, sort of forced to learn, uh, it was part of my studies at college, was, uh, was Greek. So studying biblical Greek for four semesters, two years, it was tough, and it was especially tough because uh, it, it's not a language that you converse in, right? So you can read it, uh, you know, you can you can talk about it in class, but it's not something that you would you would engage in conversationally, right? So it is uh, it was very hard to learn, and over the next six weeks, we're actually going to learn a new language, and it's going to be tough because it's not something we usually converse in. Although we're going to learn to do that. Uh, it's something that, a language that usually goes on in our heads that we might even say to ourselves, but we rarely engage others in God in, and that is the language of lament. We're going to learn in the next six weeks what it means to lament, which points to, we're going to talk about at the end, Jesus' lament as he went to the cross. And so, if you take a look at the slide here uh, about the Psalms, we're going to talk about lament in the Bible a little bit, and I'm going to get, uh, talk about what this language is in, in just a moment. We're going to define it. But more than one-third of the Psalms are actually laments. Forty-two of them are individual, and 16 are corporate. And so we're going to learn today what it means to lament individually, but also together. So think about that. Uh, the, the Psalms are uh, the Jewish... Uh, equivalent to our modern day, not so modern hymn books anymore. They used to sit in every pew, you know, uh, and people would, would open them to sing together corporately. Uh, now we have a database of songs and we put them on the projector, on a screen so we can see them. But essentially, uh, you know, same thing. Psalms were what uh, the people of God used to sing together corporately. And so uh, they, 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 a third of their repertoire, a third of their songs is where they voiced and they sat in the doubt-filled tension of life. We, we tend to be uncomfortable with that, but they were not. Uh, in layman's terms, uh, just to put it bluntly, they wrote and they sang about stuff that sucks. <laughs> Life's hard, and this is what we're going to say about it. This is what we're going to sing. Many of our church songs come from these biblical laments, and we sing them, and yet... 
They are often uh, a missing part of our corporate gatherings and our lives individually. So corporately, uh, you'll see the laments in the Psalms individually. You see them all listed there. Please write them down because I will test you on this later. Uh, there are uh, other laments, of course, in the Old Testament. We won't get into all of those. We're focusing mostly on the Psalms here. But where we're going is a very significant book in the Old Testament that is full of lament. Can anybody guess what book would be full of lament? <laughs> oh, Lamentations. Okay, so that's where we're going to go uh, in this series. Uh, to get there today, we're going to look at Second Chronicles chapter 36 because it sets the stage for Lamentations. We have to know the history, and we'll, we'll get there in a bit. It'll take a little while because we want to focus on individual lament first. But if you go to Acts chapter 8, uh, one of them listed in the New Testament uh, laments, uh, it says there that devout men buried Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, uh, and, and you can read about that in Acts 8. And it says that these men buried him and they made great lamentation over him. So lamentation, or to lament, means to express deep and profound grief and sorrow. It means to mourn over great loss. And we all do this, because loss and sorrow and hardship and tribulation and suffering is a common language of the world, and we need to learn how to express that in appropriate language to God and to one another. So lament often asks God, where are you? Why is this happening? What went wrong? People are asking that more and more and more in our culture, aren't we, as we see what's happening uh, globally. This is a thing that we're often uncomfortable doing. We like to read laments, but we don't like writing them or expressing our grief, our loss, our sorrow. But Paul, Paul Miller, in a book called The Praying Life, he said this, we think laments are disrespectful. God says the opposite. We live in a deeply broken world. Lamenting shows you you are engaged with God in a vibrant, living faith. And it's our desire as pastors at Central that we all together would have a vibrant, living faith that we would be engaged with God, and this is one way to do that. So... What is lament prayer? Essentially, uh, a lament is a prayer in pain that pushes us or leads us to trust. So we've got some boxes here. Uh, somebody asked me before this service, so are like these complaint boxes? And I said, yes, they are. Uh, you, know, you know that thing that says, uh, write your complaints here, uh, write legibly, and it's like a box like that's like a quarter of a centimeter by a quarter of a centimeter? <laughs> Uh, so we're going to give you a little more room than that. But we're actually, you're not complaining to the pastor. You're not complaining to the elders. You're going to complain to God. Is complaining okay? Yes. But it has to have a purpose and it has to be structured in, uh, in, a, in the right way. So here's four elements of biblical lament. First, we turn to God. We're not turning to each other to complain. We're not turning to the leaders to complain or the government. We're, in our sorrow, pain, and loss, we turn to God. Then we bring, secondly, our complaint to God. We have legitimate things because we are people who have been created with feelings. And these feelings uh, get damaged, they get hurt. Emotionally, we get wounded. Spiritually, we struggle. So we bring complaints. Third, then it, 
it, we're still turned toward God now, we begin to ask God boldly for help. We call on him. We call on him to act. And number four, we choose to trust and to put our confidence in God. So part of this uh, asking in number three, to ask boldly for, for, uh, for help by calling to God is always accompanied, and together with number four, a declaration of who God is. If you, when you read the, the, the laments, and we're gonna go through a few now in the Psalms, just for example, uh, there's a turning point, and in that turning point, there's a declaration of who God is, his attributes, his faithfulness, his love, his holiness, his compassion, his mercy, are all included, and we need it. Lamenting gives us a proper perspective of who God is in light of what we're struggling with. So here's some examples. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Have any, have any of you ever asked, how long, O God, how long am I gonna be stuck in this? Yeah, grief, loss, pain, physically, spiritually, emotionally, how long, God? Relationally, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But, see, here's the turning point. But, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully, bountifully with me. Psalm 22. The opening words of this psalm should be familiar to us. We'll talk about them at the end. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet, there's the turning point, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Isn't that beautiful? Number uh, 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then, <laughs> then, I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, 
you with your arm redeemed your people to the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. It's cool, because yesterday I was going, going through, uh, we're going through our devotional reading plan, uh, the Nicky Gumbel Bible in a Year thing, and he's got some great meditations in there, a devotional followed by scripture readings in the Old Testament, the Psalms, the New Testament. And yes, yesterday was Psalm 31, which is so wonderfully points to this again. David pouring out his heart to God, and yet in the middle he says, but God, I trust you. I trust you. So um, why do this? Why do this? Why focus on this? Uh, I mean, there's people that say, you know what? Tough stuff happens. Uh, it's in the past. Forget about it. Move on. <laughs> like, don't go there. Let's focus on the positive things. Why do this? Number one, it is a language for loss. Historically, lament has been the language of hurting Christians. If we, if we deny that there's pain and hurt in our lives, the pain and the hurt only increases. <laughs> it's like ignoring a physical problem when there's great pain in your body and say, ah, let's put it behind us. Let's just move forward. We can push through this. Um, <clears throat> I've done that at times. I, I ended up with uh, bronchitis, almost pneumonia, and I went, stupid me. <laughs> if I would have saw the warning signs a little earlier and maybe saw the doctor, that would have helped, right? Go bring my complaint to the person who can actually deal with, some, deal with it, right? Didn't do that, and I, I got really sick. That was about three years ago. So it's a language for hurting Christians that we bring to the Lord. It provides us a vocabulary for talking to God through the pain. Um, this past week, I, um, I talked to my dad, um, probably more than I have in the last several months, and uh, a couple of times this week, probably three times this week, talked to my sister quite a bit. And um, my, my dad is not a person to complain or to lament, but he's, uh, he's in a season right now of lament. And it was good, it's good that he's expressing it, and we're praying a lot for him, and, and it's, uh, it, it, it's a struggle for us to see him go through so much pain. So last weekend was a year since my mom uh, died. And so my, my dad is still, of course, very much dealing with that. And then on top of that, he, uh, so about a month ago, he went th for a geriatric uh, assessment. And he got a letter uh, a couple of weeks ago from SGI, that's the equivalent to our ICBC, Saskatchewan Government Insurance, saying, uh, your license has been suspended. He said, Eldon, I've been driving for 70 years. So he's 86. I, he said, I've been on the roads for 70 years. He says, how come they can't take into consideration my record? He goes, look at my record. I have not had one accident in 70 years. I have not had a speeding ticket. I have not even had a parking ticket. They can find nothing on me and they take my license away? He's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I guess my driving days are over. And he was lamenting, and it's painful. On top of the grief of losing his wife of 60-some years, right? It's hard. So lament is a language for our loss. Number two, it's a solution for silence. And there's a, really a very real danger for Christians, and I'm glad my dad is talking because... You can either be too afraid to talk honestly to God or others about your doubt or pain or hardship, or you can be too angry uh, 
and, and, and in that, refuse to talk to God and just bottle those things up. And, and, and if there's one really significant thing that I learned from my father-in-law, who's a, a counselor, he said, Eldon, when you, when you repress and stuff your anger and your resentment and all of those things, you know what it does? It leads to depression. Which leads to significant health issues. And if you leave it there long enough and you're one of those people who one day erupts like a volcano, there's collateral damage all around you. And so get it out. You know, honestly, friends, 90% of counseling or psychology is sitting in front of somebody who asks you the right questions so you can just talk. Because it's healthy to express your hurt and your fear and your anger, and your, all of these things. And, and so, maybe some of you have stopped talking to God about certain things. You worry either about being irreverent, I'm complaining, I shouldn't do that to God, or you have shame, or you're, you feel hurt because your prayers seem to fall on deaf ears, and you just keep saying the same thing over and over again, and you go, God, when is this going to change? But for whatever reason, you've gone silent, and you shouldn't do that. I actually had a lady tell me one time after a sermon I preached, oh, I'm guessing, I don't know how many years ago now, probably 15 years ago in Richmond. She was very angry with me after this service because I had talked about, and some of you have heard my story, I was abused when I was 10 years old. And, and part of my story uh, is the fact that uh, this, this case was so widely and well-known because it was a serial pedophile. And so it was not only provincial, but Western Canada, all across the nation, it was Interpol was involved. Like, it was a huge deal. Newspaper articles written about it, people phoning me. I had to go through court stuff. Like, it was a big deal, right? And so I have all that stuff. And we were going through a series in, in, in Genesis, and I was showing the people kind of some of my story because I was relating it to Joseph, who was badly abused by his brothers, <laughs> sold as a slave uh, after they, they, you know, passed off to dear old dad that they killed, you know, that, he, that a wild animal got him. He was killed by an animal. And then he was accused wrongly in Potiphar's house. And you know the story, went to jail. I mean, the, the guy, like, his life was rough. But at the end of his life, he turned to his brothers and says, you know what, like, I could hate you guys, but I don't. I, I, I forgive you. I know that you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good, the saving of many people. And I think that my story is meant for the glory of God, that people who have been through abuse have a bit of a connection, and I can help them press into Jesus with that. Right? But this lady was so upset, she goes, Ellen, take all of that stuff now and burn it. Put it behind you. You shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, okay, number one, you either have no hurt in your life and you just don't see the point. Or number two, you have lots of hurt in your life and you don't know what to do with it. And I hit a nerve. And I think it was number two. <sighs> anyway, it's a solution for silence. Talk. Number three, it's a category for complaints. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Are you going to hide your face forever? How long do I have to have silence? This is in the Bible. Have, have sorrow in my heart. This is in the Bible. And we, when we can bring these things to God and we can express it in a biblical way that is just, it's freeing 
Number four, it's a framework for our feelings. I've talked about that. God has given us feelings. And so instead of, you know, being caught in the trap of self-centeredness and going, oh, woe is me, I, I, I need everyone to pity me, um, or we spew sinful accusations against God, which are not true, and, and people are collateral damage that get in the way, lament is a way for us to express our feelings that God gave us in a healthy way. Uh, which is what we need to do. Number five, it's a process for our pain. I've talked about that, where we choose to trust. In embracing um, that process, uh, choosing to lament through pain leads us to a deeper faith, more resolve, a deeper hope in God where our pain is actually becomes productive. And number six, is it, a, it is a way to worship. Have you ever thought about your complaints as actually a way to actually worship God? Yeah, it drives me crazy. When we, when, I, when we talk about worship as something we do for 15 or 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, and it's upbeat, and it's happy, and it's joyful, which is good, and it's set to music. Friends, we need a bigger vision of worship. You know what worship is? Worship means to, to ascribe to God the glory and the worth that is rightly due him because he is God. And, and we do that, we ascribe to God glory, worth, admonition, praise, exaltation in all of life. The good, the joyful, the bad, and even the ugly stuff. We worship in all of it. In many forms. In our serving, in our giving, in the way we talk to people, the way we treat our children, the way we interact with our employer. It's worship. Does it bring God glory or does it not? And, and lament is a way to bring God glory in the stuff that's hard. And you know what? It, lament has an element of great hope. And I want you to hear that. As we go through lamentations in the next several weeks, we're going to hear some stuff that is raw, <laughs> it is shocking, it is graphic, but it is so filled with hope. Despair is the opposite of lament. Despair is actually the ultimate manifestation of disbelief, where we deny that God is even listening, that he cares, and so we stop praying. And I, and I want to acknowledge that some of you may be there right now because I, you know, honestly, I need to admit to you that there are, have been times in my life where I have been either in or on the verge of despair. And I get that. I really do. Some of you this morning are sitting here with so many wounds and you're, you're angry, you're hurt, you're frustrated. So much so that you don't even talk to God anymore. Or maybe you don't talk to him about certain things, like, God, my life has not gone like I've expected. You didn't deliver, you didn't come through. For those, those people I know or my children who have walked away from you, that don't follow you, that don't know you, you God, you're, you're, my prayers are following on deaf ears. I, I, I constantly plead to you with that area of constant failure uh, uh, and sin in my life that is just not getting any better. I, I don't even talk to you anymore, God, about my spouse. My marriage is horrible. I, I, what's the point? 
I'm not talking to you anymore, God, about the pregnancies that went wrong or the infertility that I have or about that loss or that diagnosis or about those circumstances. Listen, if that's you, you already are living in the land of lament and I want to say to you, this is a gift to you that I want you to embrace this morning in a healthy way. So uh, we all need to learn this language and we're going to have an opportunity to do that right now. As we uh, take a card, if, uh, if anyone doesn't have one of the, there should be plenty on the seats, there's a few extras on. If, if anyone doesn't have a card, raise your hand, I'll walk around and bring one to you. Hopefully you have a pen, if not, uh, maybe somebody from, I'm not sure could get some from the welcome desk, if not, get one after the service. I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes to start. Your name is optional. And, and I will collect these and I will be the one to see them and I will probably uh, share with our pastoral staff only on a Tuesday when we all meet together and we pray together about things. If you want it to remain anonymous, fine. If not, and you're brave enough to put your name on there, that's great. Begin putting some language to your lament. What What are you grieving this morning? What is a loss, a pain in your life that you want to bring to God? You don't need to write a full lament. Just a very quick summary. So go ahead and work on that and um, start writing. I'm going to talk in a minute or two, and as I do, I won't be offended if you keep writing till the end of the service. That's, that's great. And then, when we're done at the end of the service, uh, even a, as a response to our concluding worship and prayer time, come and put them in these boxes. Fold it, put it just drop it in the slot, and I will keep them. So go ahead. So, um, I, I got to really, you can keep writing if you want. I'm just going to talk about something that I'm lamenting. I'm lamenting a few things. <laughs> lamenting with my father. Uh, but uh, Mar- Marcy's brother actually sent me an email uh, this week, uh, and it was very meaningful to me because it told me that he cares and that he's praying for me. And he forward, I, now I can't verify the authenticity of this. I have no idea if these statistics are accurate, but they could be. 
Nonetheless, this is, what, this is what he sent to me. He said, pray for your pastor. No, I'm not his pastor, but uh, I am a pastor, your pastor. <laughs> so he said, 97% uh, of pastors have been betrayed, falsely accused, and hurt by their trusted friends. Yeah, I'm in that category. 70% of pastors battle depression. 7,000 churches close each year. I don't know if that's a global statistic, but I know like nationally in Canada, North America, the numbers are shocking. How many churches close every year? 1,500 pastors quit each month. That could, that's probably global statistics. 10% of pastors will actually retire a pastor. 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94% of their families feel the pressure of ministry. 78% of pastors have no close friends. And 90% report working 55 to 75 hours a week. Pray for your pastor. And I, I lament the fact especially that so many pastors quit and churches close. And the evil one is working overtime to extinguish shining lights in communities all across the world. Be because we bring the hope of the gospel to people, and I lament that. It's not right. And so we're going to shift, make a little bit of a transition here from personal lament to corporate. We see the shift in the music, uh, uh, the, the culture of music, and uh, I'm going to share a quote with you by a pastor down in uh, Washington, D.C., Tabidi Anabwili. I've heard him speak at a gospel, uh, Together for the Gospel conference in Kentucky, powerful guy. Uh, he wrote a commentary on Luke called Exalting Jesus and Luke, and he talks about Marvin Gaye. And, and so I did a little research on, on this, uh, this African-American black soul singer, right? Wonderful music. He began his music career in 1958 or 54 or something like that, and he ended in 1984 prematurely, really. But uh, Adam Wiley says this, soul music began largely as a genre focusing on ballads, right? So like love songs. The pioneers of soul were crooners, bellowing out the sultry lyrics for lovers. Marvin Gaye was perhaps one of the most famous soul singers of his era, Started in the 50s, Gay, who grew up in a pastor's home in the Deanwood neighborhood of Washington, D.C., became the poster boy of smooth, sultry, romantic sound with hits like How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. I heard it through the grapevine with Tammy Terrell and Ain't No Mountain High Enough and You're All I Need to Get By. However, by the 1960s, many artists and genres of music became more concerned as culture changed, of course, with the political issues and causes of the day, including Marvin, Gay released a string of chart-topping hits like 1971, What's Going On? <laughs> that sounds like a lament, right? Like David, look, what's going on? Where are you? He's a preacher's kid. He, he, knows, he knows the Bible. Uh, he, another one, Inner City Blues, Makes Me Wanna Holla, and Mercy, Mercy Me. These songs capture the anguished cry of a disenchanted and disenfranchised generation. The songs were urban laments, longing for an almost mythic day when things like hunger and war would cease to exist. 
the, the 60s really changed stuff. In other ways, the songs gave voice to a question, a prayer re- really that almost irrepressibly escapes one's lips amidst life's turmoil. Gay seemed to be crying out with his generation for mercy. The cry for mercy is as old as humanity's fall in the garden. It has been uttered, whispered, and yelled in every generation among every people since sin entered the world. When we reach those limits, something in us looks for mercy. And people with influence like Marvin Gaye was, was, was corporately lamenting and asking people to lament with him. And that's what the Bible does too. By the way, I did some research on Marvin Gaye how he died because he was only 44 years old. He was one, year, one day short of his 45th birthday. And, and this probably makes sense why he started off as a, as a ballad crooner. You know, pumping out love songs, but then turning a little more uh, lamentive is because one day, He uh, walked into his uh, parents having a fight. Mom and dad were not getting along. And so he stepped into the middle of the fight to break it up. And his intervention turned into a physical altercation with his father. And they had it out. And, uh, And Marvin went to a room in the house. And about two minutes later, his own father came in and shot him to death. So, the language of lament, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 36, where some pretty evil stuff was going down. And this this sets the stage for lamentations. This is important to know. So behind the book is the destruction of a city and an entire nation. There was the golden years of Israel. You know, you have King David, Solomon, all these, and then all of a sudden the nation became divided and split. You have Israel in the north, Judah in the south, 10 of the tribes in the north, two in the south. The northern kingdoms is where, you know, all of the disobedience and rebellion and, and, uh, and evil started, so much so that the Assyrians in the north came down and overtook them in 722 BC and took them into captivity. And Judah should have been paying attention to this, but they didn't. And so in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 36, you see five kings that are mentioned there. The first is Josiah. Josiah was the last of the godly kings in Israel's history. Under his leadership, there was a lot of reform and spiritual vitality, but after his death, man, it, the, it unraveled real quick, and within 30 years after Josiah's death, the nation was gone. So, at that time, Assyria, as I said, was the superpower, but Babylon was coming onto the scene. Babylon overthrew Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, in 612, and then they overthrew all of Assyria in 609, and this left Judah kind of caught right in a bad spot. And the next king was Jehoahaz, and he reigned only for three months after being deposed by Egypt. And then the slide continued, Jehoiakim, Verse three, this is gonna all be on the screen. Sorry, Tony, can you keep up with me? I'm I'm just pumping it out here now. Verse three, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years and he did was evil on the sight of the Lord. So Jeremiah, so remember Jeremiah is actually the one who uh, authored Lamentations. 
In, in Jeremiah 25, 26, you have the background on Jehoiakim. He led God's people into idolatry. He refused to listen to God's word, and he even persecuted the prophets, the messengers of God. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes along and takes Judah. Uh, they bound up Jehoiakim in chains. They took him into captivity along with a bunch of other citizens, including people you might recognize, such as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Then in verse four, we pick it up with the next king, number four here, Jehoiakim, who was 18 years old when he became king. He was a youngster and he reigned three months, only three months and 10 days. <laughs> uh, I could comment on that, but I won't. Uh, he did what was evil, scripture says, in the sight of the Lord. Uh, again, 2 Kings 24 gives us the background to 2 Chronicles 36, tells us that again, through Babylon, they came, set up a siege. Jehoiakim abdicated the throne. Upon his surrenders, the Babylonians raided the temple, the palace. They carried off all the officials, the mighty men, and all of the craftsmen. In other words, Babylon completely wiped out the leadership, the infrastructure, and the history of the nation. And at this point, Ezekiel was part of that deportation. And then we come to the fifth king here, Zedekiah. He was 21 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, verse 11. And you would think that after, you know, four kings before him that all blew it and the nation was just being destroyed, that he would seek the Lord like David and Solomon did and turn things around. But instead, verse 12, we see that he also did evil what was in the sight of the Lord, verse 12. And he actually did more evil than his predecessors. And God sent, lo and behold, the Babylonians one more time. And Second Chronicles 36, we're going to pick it up here, verse 12. He, this is uh, Zedekiah, he did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. Remember Jeremiah Lamentations? Who spoke from the mouth of the Lord, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck. He hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations and they polluted the house of the, that, of the Lord that he made holy in Jerusalem. And the Lord, verse 15, the God of their fathers sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. So he sent prophets to them. He had compassion. Guys, listen up. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at the prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Huh. This is what sin does in the culture that we live in. All of a sudden you get to a point where there is no remedy. It's a, it's a pretty scary spot to be. When people get to the level of mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, we incite the wrath of God. Um, <laughs> Marcy and I were make, making our way home Friday night, was it, from uh, Abbotsford, right? Uh, decided to go through mission because there was a diner I wanted to try out. Surprise, surprise. Rocco's. Anybody ever been to Rocco's Diner in Mission? Yeah, okay. So we said, okay, late Friday night, we're doing this thing. Who cares? The Rocco's Burger, right? 
cheeseburger, bacon, mushrooms with fries. We shared it. We each didn't get one. It was, you know. And then we shared a chocolate milkshake. It was glorious. It was a glorious moment. <laughs> but right behind us, a table of three younger people, quite young, teenagers. The boy was a little older. I'm guessing maybe 19, 20. The girls were younger. Very cool. He's full of tattoos, using quite a bit of bad language. But what really caught my attention was that he would, they were completely mocking somebody either at their school or uh, somebody that they knew. They named him as a Christian and they were mocking him openly at the table. And I'm just like, you know, Lord, pr protect this, this kid who's a Christian who's making a stand for you. He's being mocked. He's a messenger of God to this generation and it is tough. It's tough. Man, we need to pray for our Christian students in, the, in high school and the culture is brutal. And you, and you see in Exodus 34, I do, uh, God says, you know, like he, to Moses, he said, the Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And then it says this, but who will by no means clear the guilty. What the Bible makes clear over and over again is that this loving God, this slow to anger, merciful, compassionate God does not leave the guilty unpunished. And we need to lament the guilt and the sin not only in our lives but the evil we see going on in our society. We need to lament that and we need to bring that to God. And that's what Lamentations is because their nation was destroyed because of rebellion and sin. We need to take an honest look at our own depravity, which helps us understand just how glorious and life-giving the good news of Jesus Christ is. And I'm on my phone for a reason. Part of it is to check the time, but part of it is the devotions that I had this morning before church, the Nobel Prize winner and most important Russian literary artist of the second half of the 20th century, Alexander Zolzinskin, I think that's how you say it, who was imprisoned for eight years for criticizing Stalin, wrote, the lines separating good and evil passes not through states nor through classes nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. That's the cause of evil in our society. It affects all of us. And, and we cannot look at others in a condescending way and say, I would never do that. Because we do, and we have, and we will. And so back to Second Chronicles, it, verse, I'm just going to summarize. <laughs> it's brutal. Verse 17 through to the end of the chapter. How God sent the, Cal, you know, Chaldea, the king of the Chaldeans as a means of judgment. God did this. He sent judgment. <laughs> you can read it for yourself, but at this point, Judah was decimated. They were done. And all of God's chosen people were now either dead 
or displaced or destitute, and it was their rebellion that brought it upon them, and it sets the stage for lamentations. How do we bring this to our moment? I already have done that through the message, but we, we your friends, are, are looking at a world where we see the tragedy of sin on a grand scale. Uh, sin has permeated everything. I mean, Romans said that a long time ago. Paul wrote that, that all of creation groans in expectation, longing to be redeemed, to be set free. And that includes people for sure, but sin permeates everything. I mean, just in the news this morning, you know, the minister of health telling, you know, churches they probably shouldn't even gather anymore. Well, we're not going to go that far, but maybe we'll avoid the hugs and the, for sure the holy kiss, okay? Like I'll draw the line there, all right? Hugs and, but even hugs and handshakes, maybe let's just bump elbows or like just be practical, right? Like give a fist bump or something. If somebody doesn't want to give you a hug, just respect that. But this is the result, right, of evil in our, uh, in our world. It's a result of a creation that is groaning under the weight of sin. And we feel it. And, and in any language, uh, there is what this thing called interpretation, though. When you're learning a new language, you do need help, or if you don't speak the language, with a translator or interpretation. And I've had to do that in uh, the, our, my Chinese Christian culture friends. I've had to use interpreters before. It's a pretty cool process in order to communicate. Lamentations actually helps us interpret. This new language helps us interpret a couple of things. It helps us interpret the, the realities of sin, and also the hope of the gospel. Amen? Because that's why God sent Jesus. Not to bring judgment like the king of the Chaldeans, but to bring the mercy of God. Because we need his mercy. We're destitute. We're dying. We're displaced without Jesus Christ. And Jesus had his own lament. When he came, he experienced the full weight of the sin of the entire world. I couldn't imagine the burden on his shoulders and on his heart and on his mind. And on the cross, he looked up to God and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet, yet in you I trust. Not my will be done. Lord, I want this cup to pass. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. I'm going to trust in your justice. I'm going to trust in your mercy. And I will do this so that people can be liberated from their bondage and their sin. That's the hope we have. <laughs> I have to end with one more food illustration. All right? Restaurant Impossible. Watched an episode this week. Robert Irvine you know, hardcore, get her done, turn around a hopeless situation. The, the, whole, the situation in this case was so hopeless and it impacts families and relationships and their finances and everything. This man who had poured his life into this place was now half a million dollars in debt. He couldn't even lift his head. He had so much shame. And Robert Irvine turns to the camera and he says, I have the best job in the world. I have the best job in the world because I get to bring hope to people. And I thought, Robert Irvine, no, we have the best job in the world. Not Restaurant Impossible. <laughs> it's Fraser Valley Impossible, Agassiz Impossible, Harrison Impossible, Lake Eric Impossible. We have 
what can bring hope to people and turn their lives completely around. And that's what Lamentations will do. I'm excited to get into this. It's raw, it's dark, but it's so awesome. So we're going to stand together and corporately lament. Are you ready to lament? Now, stand with me. If uh, I'm, I'm going to say something and there's a response and we're going to corporately share a lament and it's going to start with our sin. I'm not forcing you to say this. If you just want to listen and read, that's fine. But if you can engage legitimately, please do so. If this is a cry of your heart, engage with me. We lament our comfort with sin and our indifference to its destruction, the pain it causes and the wedge it puts between us and you, O Lord. How long will we let its power hold us hostage and cause harm? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. We lament our lack of mourning over sin, how it hurts us, those we love, and our neighbors. We know the path of sin leads to death, and yet we remain apathetic. How long will we struggle to take the grief of sin seriously? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. We lament our passivity to fight the battle of sin. We let it overcome us and invite the enemy in daily. When, O Lord, will you return and set us free from the war that wages deep inside us? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. Stay standing, Dan, would you come and lead us? Lord, we, I truly do lament. Teach us this new language, God. Teach us how to cry out to you. Thank you, Lord, that despite the the evil and and the darkness of our own souls and of the world that we live in, you sent your son Jesus that we can have hope and be forgiven and be redeemed and have a hope in a future. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. That cross is pivotal to our lives and as we, as we now embark on the path to the cross during the season of Lent, we lament the things that would keep people from seeing the cross, from seeing the risen Savior. So Lord, open doors in this community, open the doors of our hearts for the gospel to penetrate, for the good news to be shared freely. Lord, sh- show us your power. Bring change to Agassiz, to Harrison, to Lake Arak, to the Fraser Valley, to Canada, to the world. We pray for revival. We long to see you move, Lord. Would you please hear our prayers in this way? In Jesus' name, amen.